invite you at this time to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We'll be considering verses 21 through 40 this evening. Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. And in this, this passage, what we'll see is that Jesus' mission, this mission which he first received before he came to this earth, before the foundations of the world which he received from his Father, we see that this mission unfolding here even as a newborn baby. So Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. Please turn your attention now to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, And the favor of God was upon him. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, we live in a society that is plagued with guilt. Guilt over our environment, guilt over our country's past sins, guilt over social inequities. The language of guilt in in much of the political discourse today is pervasive. And consequently, our society also seeks absolution. That is, they seek to absolve themselves from that guilt. 
through a number of, of various avenues or various acts of penance, as it were. I think we need to recognize that guilt that the human heart feels is first and foremost not horizontal in nature. It's vertical in nature. It's because we have transgressed God's moral law. That's the result of guilt. And therefore, the real and only lasting absolution that people need to hear is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see that gospel unfolding in our passage this evening. In fact, Jesus' entire life, entire life of obedience, submission to his Father's will is our absolution, that which we look to absolve ourselves from, from our guilt, the guilt of our sins. You know, one of the benefits of the gospel narratives is that it really enriches our understanding of what Jesus has done to win our salvation. We read the epistles, the epistles of Paul, and he can very eloquently summarize the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in even a sentence. But in the gospels, we see the whole life of Christ displayed for us. And we see the fullness of his work in a way that we don't see in, in Paul. So this evening, I want us to consider the fullness of Christ's salvation, or you can even say his mission, which absolves us from our guilt. As we consider this, this main idea of the fullness of, of Christ's salvation, his mission, I want us to consider two main points. First, we'll consider Jesus' work of salvation uh, progresses. So Jesus' work of salvation progresses. And then second, Jesus' work of salvation explained. So first, let us consider how Jesus' work of salvation really progresses here in our passage. This last week, of course, we celebrated Christmas. We commemorated the, the birth of Christ our Savior. Last week, we considered the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. But oftentimes, I think we, we can think of the life of Christ as a, a three-act production. Christmas, the birth of Christ, and then we think of Good Friday, of course, which is the death of Christ, and then Easter, the resurrection of Christ. But what do we do with all that stuff in the middle? From the birth to the death of Christ. Is that, is that really necessary? They're inspiring stories and miracles as healings, but do we really need that? In John 6.38, Jesus says that he has come to this earth not to do his own will, but the will of his Father who sent him. As I mentioned, this, this mission that Jesus had was given to him by his father from before the foundations of the world. So it's not as if he came to this earth and then he received this mission. Part of his mission was his incarnation, his birth, which we considered last week. It, part of his mission is Good Friday. It's his death on the cross. It's Easter. It's the resurrection. But part of his mission is also all that stuff in between the incarnation and Good Friday, his life of righteousness under God's law, which we see displayed throughout most of the chapters of the gospel narratives. Therefore, we see Jesus' work of salvation progressing here as we see that he is indeed born under God's law. He's born under God's law. Now, boys and girls, I imagine that you have at one time played a game, whether it be a video game, a board game, or some other game in which there's various checkpoints or missions that you have to complete. 
Well, in a similar way, we can think of, of Jesus as having this grand mission of salvation to save his people. But this grand mission involves various checkpoints or submissions you could think of. And, and one aspect of that, that great overall mission was his birth. That was a submission. One checkpoint, you could say. But here we see that second checkpoint. We see he's born under God's law to fulfill all righteousness. So the specific aspect of Jesus' mission that we see here is that he obeyed God's law. He obeyed God's law. So we see that right away in verse 21, a verse which is very easy just to overlook. But in verse 21, we see that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Now this is very important because Jesus was and had to be under the law of God. And God's law requires that male boys be circumcised on the eighth day. In verses 23 through 24, we read that Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus go to Jerusalem. And they go to Jerusalem to perform various things that God's law required them to do. For example, we see uh, Mary and Joseph go there, first of all, to undergo a purification ceremony. And this is because, according to the ceremonial law of Moses... After you gave birth, you were unclean. And 40 days after your birth, then, you would have to go to Jerusalem and undergo this purification ceremony. And Joseph, who also participated in the birth of of, of Jesus, likely was made unclean, and therefore they had to undergo this requirement of God's law. And usually you would bring a lamb, but if you didn't have the means to afford a lamb, you would bring turtle doves, or pigeons, which we see Mary and Joseph doing here in our passage, which tells us that Jesus did not come from wealth. He came from um, um, relatively little means. You may ask, this is a side note, this isn't the main point of, of our passage, but why did they need to undergo purification? Why, would you, why were you made unclean by giving birth according to the ceremonial law of the Old Testament? And to be unclean was not in itself sin. There were a number of things that would make you unclean. Giving birth, coming in contact with a dead corpse, uh, a woman's menstruation, uh, marital sexual relations. These are all things that would make you unclean, things that were not in of themselves sinful. But the point of these things is that it testified to the holiness of God. The word holy means set apart, distinct. God is set apart from this world, from creatures. And all of these things are things that God does not do. He does not marry, he does not give birth, have children. These are creaturely things. So it testifies the otherness of God. And these things, these rituals would have reminded the people constantly of the presence of God. And the presence of God is holy. They are unholy. It reminded them this vital distinction between the creator and the creature. But we also see that they, they've come to Jerusalem for the dedication of the firstborn child. So the dedication of Jesus. And verse 23 is quoting Exodus chapter 13. And another aspect of the law that they're obeying here is that God commanded the dedication of the firstborn in in remembrance of God's deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt. When God 
went through Egypt and killed all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians, but passed over the Israelites. Therefore, they would dedicate the firstborn in remembrance of God's graciousness. And they then could redeem their son by, by paying a certain price. Now, I don't want us to get bogged down with the meaning of the, these ceremonies, but the, I want you to notice the repeated refrain throughout our passage of according to the law of the Lord, or according to the custom of the law. That Joseph and Mary, they act in accordance to God's law. And therefore Jesus, too, was circumcised, dedicated to the Lord. He was under God's law. And this is a very important detail not to miss. That Jesus obeyed God's law perfectly. And he needed to be circumcised, to be dedicated. Because he needed to be under God's law and put forth a perfect righteousness to that law which his people were under. Again, listen to how Paul describes this in, in, a, simple, in a simple sentence. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of sons. Those two phrases summarize last week's passage and this week's passage. Christ was born of a woman, we saw that, but he was also born under the law. The same law that his people were under to redeem his people. And basic to God's law is a simple principle. A simple principle that says, do the law, do this, and you shall live. You shall be blessed. But on the flip side, don't do this law and you will be cursed. It's a law of basic justice. Do this and you shall be blessed. Don't do this and you will be cursed. Boys and girls, I imagine this is how your rules of, 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 of your household operate. If you obey the rules of your parents, you, you will experience blessing. If you don't, you will be punished. Well, this law of God was given to the people of God, always starting with Adam, our first father. Adam had the law of God written on his heart in creation as every human being does, but he didn't have a sinful nature to begin with, which perverts it, which corrupts it. And then he was given the law especially in Genesis chapter 2 as he was commanded not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that law testified the same thing to him. Do this and you will live in eternal blessedness. Don't do this and you will be cursed. And what did Adam choose? We chose the second option. He failed to keep the law of God, and he was, he was cursed. He was exiled from God's holy presence in the garden. He was sent east of Eden, out of God's holy sanctuary. And then Israel, fast forward to Israel. Israel has been graciously redeemed out of Egypt, brought to Mount Sinai, and is given the law of God, but now in a very, very expansive form. And God says the same thing. He says, Israel, if you do this, you will live long in the land, this holy land of Canaan, which I have given you. But if you don't do this, you will be cursed. You will be thrown out of not a garden this time, but a holy land, the holy land of Canaan. You will be sent out to the nations, to Babylon, to Assyria. And what does Israel do? Well, they fail as well. 
They fail and they're cursed. They're exiled to the throne of God's holy sanctuary. This sets us up for Christ. Right? In the fullness of time, God sent forth Christ. And how is Christ described in the New Testament? Well, he's the second Adam. He came to do what the first Adam failed to do. He's described as the true servant of the Lord, the true Israel of God. He came to do what Israel, his people, failed to do. That is, he came to perfectly obey the law of God. And that's why he was born under the law. And this is why it was absolutely necessary that he be born under the law. Because in order to have the right to enter the holy place of God, the holy sanctuary of God, we need a perfect righteousness. Adam failed to provide that. Israel failed to even live in the holy land, let, let, let alone the, the reality of that land, which is the heavenly Jerusalem. But Christ prevailed. He came under the law of God to win us the right to eternal life. You know, boys and girls, uh, and a helpful, easy summary of, of the Bible can be described as Adam failed, Israel failed, but Christ prevailed. Christ prevailed. And thus the great blessing that we have as the people of God, those who have faith in Christ, is that we are granted this righteousness which he accomplished as he lived under the law. You know, Christ was circumcised, as we see here. Christ was dedicated to the Lord, which also was prescribed by the law of God. And we will continue to see as we go through the Gospel of Luke that Christ obeyed God's law in his exact detail. He perfectly obeyed God's law. And he did that for us, that we might have a right to eternal life. This is why our call to worship at the beginning of our services is so significant. God calls us, sinful human beings, into his presence, not into a, a earthly representation of his presence as the Old Testament Israel had in the temple, but we, as Hebrews tells us, have a right to the very heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly Mount Zion, the very presence and throne room of God. Why? Because God views us through the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been dressed in his righteousness. And that's why even this evening, as I, as I pick Galatians 4 for a call to worship, it's, not, it's, it's because he was under the law. He, he has performed that righteousness that we can even receive this call to worship. I mentioned a few weeks ago that the founder of, of Westminster Seminary, who died in the, the 1930s, at a, in his 50s, a relatively young age, on his deathbed, sent a telegram to his, his colleague, another professor. He says, so thankful for the active obedience of Christ, which is his, his righteousness, his obedience to the law of God. So thankful for the obedience of Christ. No hope without it. Very interesting, isn't it? As I mentioned before, he didn't talk about the death of Christ, the resurrection, even the birth of Christ. And what gave him hope on his deathbed is that God views him according to Christ's righteousness. He pointed to that, all that stuff in between that a lot of people don't know what to do with, between the birth of Christ and the death of Christ. That's, that, that part of the life of Christ is so important to our salvation. You know, boys and girls, 
You know, Jesus was a child at one time. He was your age at one time. And he also was called to obey the fifth commandment, which we just got done hearing. He was called to obey his parents. And he obeyed his parents perfectly. He always submitted to them, was respectful, did what he was told. But he did that for you. And he wasn't just obedient to the fifth commandment, he was obedient to every commandment of God. And he did that to give you a perfect righteousness because the only way to be, to be accepted in the family of God is to be perfect. We're not perfect. And so Jesus was perfect for you so that you might be accepted into God's family. That's the gospel. So we see that Jesus' work of salvation, this mission, is progressing as he's on to that next checkpoint, as it were, as we see his life under God's law beginning. He was circumcised, dedicated, according to God's law. But we also see that Jesus' work of salvation is explained for us, is explained uh, for us, which is now uh, my second point. A pattern that we see throughout the scriptures is God acts in history, And then he explains those acts to the mouths of the apostles and prophets. And we see that going on here. Christ was born, born of a woman, born under the law. And now God explains the significance of this through the mouth of Simeon, through the mouth of Anna. And first we come across uh, Simeon in verses 25 through 27. We see that uh, he's a righteous man. And God told him that he will not die until he, his eyes see the Christ. And therefore, when Mary and Joseph were coming near the temple uh, to dedicate Jesus, Simeon was also present. And we read that he had a special anointing of the Spirit so that he could prophesy. And he took Jesus in his arms and he blessed God. And notice in particular... What he says in verse 30, he equates seeing Jesus with seeing salvation. He equates seeing Jesus with seeing salvation. We see that Jesus' mission was to save his people from their sins. His mission was not earthly in nature. It wasn't social justice. It was to save people from the wrath of God because of the consequences of their sin. So this tells us that the reason he came under the law was for us. The reason he came under God's law, the law of his people, was to provide them an alien righteousness. This connects us back to verse 21, which we, uh, we see that Jesus was named Jesus. He was given this name Jesus. Luke doesn't explicate the meaning of this, but in Matthew we see that the name Jesus means Savior. He will save his people from their sins. Again, this tells us that Jesus was born, he came under this law for our salvation. Not Jesus, our best efforts or our experiences or religious affections. Those things don't save. Jesus alone is the one who can save us. And then verses 31 through 32, we continue to learn about what Jesus is going to do, in particular, who he's going to save. And notice that he's come to bring salvation, not just for Israel, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, the non-Israelites. Again, this tells us that Jesus came under God's law, not just to save the Israelites, but everybody. Because everybody, even those who didn't have the Mosaic law, were under God's law, because God's law has been written on every human heart. 
So he came under the law to save people from every nation, from every, every tribe and tongue and people. In the Old Testament, for the most part, this, the scriptures, the promises were, were to Israel. But now with the coming of Christ, it's, it's to all the nations. And boys and girls, this teaches us that Jesus came to save every sort of person. Not just Israel, but every sort of person. Not just adults, but children too. He came to save every sort of person, Jew and Gentile alike. If you look with me in your Bible, is that in verses 34 through 35, we now see what Simeon does after he blesses God. He says, uh, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, the child, this Jesus, is, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What Jesus is saying here is that his coming, his message, is going to bring a response among people. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, to be the Savior of his people. And consequently, some will reject him and some will take up their cross and follow him no matter the consequences. But what he's saying is you can't be on the fence. Jesus coming, his message demands a response. And I think this makes sense, doesn't it? The gospel reveals our greatest problem, that we are sinners. We have transgressed God's moral law and thus we have earned his, his just wrath and punishment. It, it teaches us that we don't have the righteousness which can stand before the judgment seat of God. But the gospel tells us that Jesus alone can do this. He can save us. He can grant us that righteousness. And this is the message people need to hear. Some will receive it, some won't, but this is inherently offensive. Right? It's inherently offensive. That's why Jesus is called the rock of stumbling throughout the New Testament. Whenever the church has started to go astray, it's because they've started to water down the gospel message to make it less offensive. We see here the gospel, the true gospel message is going to be, it was offensive to the Jews of Paul's day, it was offensive to the Greeks, it's going to be offensive to people today. It's telling people we're sinners, that we can't save ourselves. We need the work of Christ on our behalf. Well, lastly, we see Anna, this prophetess, and we don't read much about what she says in terms of prophecy, but we see that she was a pious and God-fearing wo woman. Uh, she was in the temple often. And we also see that she, she gave thanks to God. She gave thanks for God for the salvation that Christ is and will accomplish for his people. So she recognized the reason Christ was born under the law to be our Savior be our Savior. What response, what response should we have to, to Christ's work of salvation, him being born under this law uh, for us? Well, notice in verse 38, Anna says, she began to give thanks to God and speak about Christ to all who were waiting, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And then Simeon, back in verse 25, is characterized as waiting for the consolation of Israel. So you see here that the people who recognize Jesus as Savior are characterized as those who wait. That is, those who have faith. Faith and waiting are inevitable. 
They were waiting for the first coming of Christ and ultimately for Christ to do what all this Old Testament prophecies had, had said he would do. We also are called to faith. We're called to look back. The Old Testament saints look forward. We are called to look back to the work of Christ on our behalf. But we also are called to wait. Wait for the second coming of Christ. When Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead, who will make all things new. So faith, brothers and sisters, is the response that this season, the season that we just celebrate of Advent, of Christmas, is calling for. Faith. Faith in Christ, who was born under the law. Therefore, brothers and sisters, guilt is something that will plague human hearts this side of glory, inevitably. However, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is indeed faithful under God's law, is indeed the only lasting absolution from the guilt of our sin. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for Christ who was indeed born in the womb of the, or through the womb of the Virgin Mary by a special operation of your Holy Spirit, but was also born under the law, the law that uh, your people Israel were under, but the law that we're under, the law that condemns us, that curses us. We thank you that we have received by faith alone this free gift of righteousness. We pray that in our, in our own Christian experience as we go out into another week that we would, you would teach us more and more the, the reality that you view us first and foremost, not according to our inherent righteousness, but according to the objective work of Christ. We ask all of these things in his name. Amen.